Did you know our hearts connect deeply wherever you and I are in the world? Hi, I'm Andrea Patrut, Intuitive Life and Relationship Coach. Here at Healing Through Oneness Podcast, together we find what makes us unique and what keeps us united. We learn of past wounds and ways to heal. We release old stories and create new, empowering realities that service now. Join me and my guests every Wednesday and Friday to recognize the truth within, discover why you are precious, connect with what sets you apart, and allow the world to welcome you and resonate with your heart. We are one. Welcome. We have with us one of the people with an extraordinary life story that I wanted all of you to hear um, because I think it's so, so timely now. Um, Charlene Madden. Madden? How, how do I pronounce it? Because I don't want to. Madden. Madden. Okay. You are a speaker, author. You're also a mother. I understand. I am. Yes. Um, I've seen you have a beautiful family. You know, people, when they look at your Facebook or whatever, they might say, oh, my gosh, look, she has a business. She's doing events, all of that. But some of us know, and I heard just, I think, this week or last week, your amazing story. And, you know, the person is the one who knows her story best. So please tell us. Uh, how your life was and what happened, because I know the moment, what happened six years ago. So what happened before six years ago and when things changed for you? Um, first, Andrea, thanks for having me on. I'm very honored to take part of, of your interview series. Um, yeah, so to share a little bit of my backstory, which will lead up to the event six years ago, um, I grew up born and raised in Ontario. And um, I was the youngest. <laughs> I was the youngest of four children, um, but I was born into a very dysfunctional household. My father was um, a severe alcoholic and uh, very abusive. Uh, he wasn't abusive to um, my sister or myself, um, but he was very abusive to my uh, my half brothers. So when I was about three and a half, my mother decided to leave the situation and um, she took my two brothers and my sister and I and left. Unfortunately, my dad went after her and took my sister and I back. And um, so we stayed with my dad for just a couple weeks. And then he, being a, a barely functioning alcoholic, knew he couldn't raise two little girls. Uh, my sister was four years older, so she was seven. So he contacted my um, maternal grandparents and asked if they would take us in. My grandmother, without skipping a beat, said, of course, I will take in, take in the girls. So we went to live with my grandparents. And um, my grandmother was an absolutely amazing woman, very strong, very advanced for, for um, her time period. You know, she was very much into women's empowerment and women's rights and... Um, uh, my grandfather, unfortunately, was a pedophile, mm -hmm. and my sister and I went through uh, nine and a half years of sexual abuse at his hands. 
so um, it was a, a it was not an ideal childhood. I will say that. Um, and can when we I breathe was about... into that? Sorry, Charlene. Can yeah. we breathe into that? Because mm -hmm. this is um, first of all, my heart is with you. I uh, I assume knowing a bit of your life story that you went through healing maybe you're still going through some healing uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, but um many of us i have friends who have their own experiences so i'm i'm sure there are many of us who get have gone through this we're not talking about it uh -huh. but we'll talk Absolutely. yeah we can yeah. tell us later um about just i just wanted to breathe this in mm -hmm. and not you know, brush it off because this is so serious mm -hmm. and um, we should be aware that people cannot share these experiences with us. Uh, and these are one of the experiences that leads to something that you went through and others are going through. And it's one of the causes of, mm -hmm. of people's struggles today. Yeah, so absolutely. we should all be this. My message and I'm sorry for interrupting you. My no, message no. is we should all be mindful that people around us might have gone through traumatizing experiences in childhood or adulthood and their attitude behavior could be part uh could be an effect of that mm -hmm. so let's let's stop our judgment and just receive people with compassion and wonder and curiosity this mm -hmm. is going to allow the healing and we'll talk about this more so mm -hmm. sorry Charlene. that's okay Please um continue. Yeah, so when I was about 12, 12 and a half, um, it all came to light, the abuse came to light. My sister, um, thank God, I should say, uh, had kind of a nervous breakdown. Um, mm -hmm. uh, she suffered worse abuse than, than I did, but mm -hmm. um, so everything came to light. Uh, my grandfather was arrested, my grandparents divorced, and so we moved out, you know, into a separate household. The, the thing, the, the unfortunate thing was we didn't really receive a whole lot of support. Um, there was really not a lot of counseling offered or, you know, anything like that. So it just kind of seemed like that was where the pattern kind of started. So, so I went into high school and of course I grew up in a very, you know, small area and everybody knew what had happened. Um, and I started suffering in high school. I mean, it's it's transi transitioning into high school is already an extremely difficult time um, for young people. But now I'm going in with the stigma of being, you know, a child abuse victim. And so I started suffering from depression early in my teens, probably 13, 14. Um, I was cutting. Um, I had already developed suicidal ideologies at that point. Um, and my outlet at the time was writing. Um, I always said that I poured ink out onto paper rather than blood from my skin because it was the only way I knew to express what I was feeling, the, the darkness of the, the abuse and trying to hold that container of being a victim. And that I just started writing. And of course, when you're writing and it's kind of dark and, and stuff like that, that draws attention to you. So mm -hmm. I was pulled in from my uh, my English class into the counselor's office, school counselor's office. And they're like, we would like you to meet with the school psychologist. And I'm like, oh, OK, sure. So, you know, they do some questionnaires with me and and 
all of a sudden I get a diagnosis at the end of this, you know, one, two hour period. And it's, oh, okay, you're bipolar, manic depressive. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. You know, mm -hmm. I'm 14 years old, 15 years old. What does that mean? And they're like, it's okay. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. So it was basically a, a pat on the back and out the door you go. And it had the same flavor for me of the abuse. It was the, mm -hmm. okay, you went through this, pat on the back, you're going to be okay. And I thought, I don't feel like I'm going to be okay. Why does everybody keep telling me that I'm going to be okay? But I just kept plugging, you know, going through day after day, year after year. And I graduated high school and I decided to move away from the small town I was in because I thought, you know, if I get out of here, things will be different. Yeah. And it kind of started the, the, the pattern of geographical running in my life where I just thought if I move, things will be better. Can I, can yeah. I uh, stop you a bit here? Cause yeah. this is a pattern I see. I'm, I'm, I'm in a group of uh, people who had trauma and they keep, we had this conversation of, you know, if I leave, will these things end? And I think you're going to say, no. you take it with you. Mm -hmm. you Wherever you, take you go, the there you are. You, you, so the, uh, if you want to change the healing has to start Inside. somewhere yeah. and because you're going to take with you everything, relationships mm -hmm. change, everything is going to change. Yeah. So how was your story? I moved, um, actually moved from the small little town to Kitchener to Waterloo, which is where I was, I was living. And, um, I had moved with my high school sweetheart and uh thought okay things are going to be great you know here we are we're creating this life of our own but i hadn't done the work i was still carrying all the baggage and the stigma around with me mm -hmm. and i thought i had so many issues around my childhood and uh, you know i right right away you know we were i think 1920 and we decided that we were going to have a child and, you know, for me, it was almost like a redemption of, okay, I can create this ideal life that I didn't have for my, for my kids. And so I had my first daughter when I was 21. Um, and I really didn't have the skills to be a parent. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't know what a good mom, like my grandmother was wonderful, but I really didn't know what a good mom looked like. Yeah. And I started having issues with, I absolutely love my daughters. They both know that I have, so I have two daughters and a son, okay. um, but I struggled with being able to connect with them physically because every time I was trying to be physically like affectionate with my daughters, I just had this, it didn't feel right. And I knew it was the, that feeling of what I had gone through as a child, I was still carrying it with me because I hadn't done the work. I hadn't dealt with it. Sorry if you hear my dogs barking. That's okay. We all um, have something here. <laughs> so I continued on through my marriage, tried to um, do the best I could, but, but um, um, I hadn't dealt with, the issues, the depression was still there and it, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point where I knew I got to a point where if I didn't leave my marriage, I felt like I was, my kids were going to come home and find me dead. I had reached a point where I was extremely suicidal and I couldn't talk. I didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to. I didn't have a large friend group. 
I didn't want to share it with my family. Um, so I just, I held it all in this container on my own and it got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I left the marriage. I left the household. I left my children um, and tried to move on. But again, there's the leaving the situation and thinking that things are going to be better mm -hmm. Once again, because it's just geographical and things didn't get better. I got into um, a relationship right away and um, it was unfortunately a very violent relationship. There was mm -hmm. um, domestic abuse. There was um, drug use and addiction. Um, alcoholism um, just was not and mental illness on both sides of it um, and but we became this very codependent couple mm -hmm. and uh, I got to a point where again the depression got so bad that um, I took an overdose of pills um, ended up getting to the hospital and uh, I remember waking up with tubes down my throat and um, my partner sitting beside me in tears, you know, and he's like, I thought this time you had done it. And um, it was like this moment of I've something's got to change again. Like this is not working. My mother reached out and said, I think you should move out west with us. We'll help support you and the kids and get your life together. And I thought, OK, yeah, great. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move across the country because things are going to be better. There's number three of moving and thinking things are going to be better when, again, not doing the work. Um, so I moved across the country. And within six months, my partner had moved with me. He had moved as well. So that really just brought baggage from one province to the next province. So. Mm -hmm. That relationship continued to just spiral downwards. Uh, the abuse continued. Um, the dysfunction just continued until it was July 1st of 2014 that he announced he was leaving me. And I was like devastated. Um, he moved directly in with someone else. So that was a light bulb moment. And um, I just tried to rebuild my life the best I could because now I was alone again because I felt like I was always going to be alone. That was just another pattern that I carried with me and uh, that everybody always leaves me. Mm -hmm. it was the abandonment issues that I carried as a child um, that, oh, there's just another person that's, that left. And um, mm -hmm. so he left in July and I was at work September 18th. Um, so just less than three months later and a police officer walked in who had dealt with some domestic issues between the two of us asked to speak to me outside and informed me that they had received a call and found my part my ex-partner's body that he had shot and killed himself mm. so i was needless to say i was devastated mm. um, this man had raised basically my son from the time he was a year and a half old so he was had been a father to my children he had been in my life for 13 and a half years um so i was i was crushed even through all of the crap that we had gone through i was just devastated and um 
Is that, can, is the dog barking really bad? No, don't worry. Okay, we're, I was like, I could put her outside, but. It's life. It's like we, we're <laughs> in a farm or Romania or somewhere in the countryside. In well, I'm, I'm on a farm, I'm on six acres and my goats are oh, outside. So this is life. I might, <laughs> you might hear my kid yelling because okay. she's happy, so it's fine. Okay, so I was, like I said, I was, I was crushed that it had happened. And I started pro processing the emotions that come up. And I, I tell people, and this is one of the, the moments that kind of shocks people when I say it, but I got angry and I remember people saying, well, of course, that's one of the stages of grief, you know, that you get angry about it. And I was like, no, I'm not angry that he took his life. I was angry that he did it first because I felt like he had robbed me of the opportunity to do it myself because now I was left to see the consequences of that action. And of course, I never said that at the time, you know, because people just wouldn't have understood it at all. So, yeah. so I tried to just, I was just existing. I was just trying to get through it and trying to stay okay for my kids, which had always been uh, my, my anchor was to stay alive was for my kids. But at this point, um, both my daughters were gone for the, from the house. They had moved, graduated high school, moved on. And my son was on the verge of graduating and moving as well. And we, I received life insurance from when my partner passed. So I purchased the house. And when I purchased the house, what my thinking was, was this was going to be what I was going to leave my children when I took my life. It was the only thing I was going to be able to provide for them. And because that darkness had started creeping back in mm -hmm. and I felt like I didn't have the strength this time to keep it at bay. Mm -hmm. And I just kept going and going and I had um, received an invitation from a woman named Vicki Roberts. She was attending mm -hmm. a, a women's workshop and she had asked if I would be willing to attend with her and um, they're having a hissy fit there um, I didn't really want to go the last thing I wanted to do was sit in a room full of women that had their shit together as I would say <laughs> while I was just here um, pretending that I was okay um, I attended because I bought the ticket and I tended <laughs> to be a little cheap and I went to this workshop and I remember walking in and sitting there and looking around feeling like I am not like I shouldn't be in this room. I do not fit here. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, why am I here? It's mm -hmm. just me pretending once again. And mm -hmm. I uh, didn't expect anything. Um, and the reality was when I walked into that room, that was on a Saturday morning and I had already decided that on the Monday I was taking my life. I had the hunting rifle in the backseat of my car. Mm -hmm. I had the location picked out. I was going to the same place where my partner had taken his life and I was going to do the same thing. I was going to shoot and kill myself just like he had done. And so I just had to get through two days. That's the way I looked at it. It's like, I got two days of being two more days of faking it, of just pretending that I'm okay. And then I can just 
let it all go. I don't have to pretend anymore. So I went in and I sat there and I listened to the speakers and, you know, the first few speakers, it was, yeah, okay, great. Yeah. It's nothing to do with me. I don't even relate to any of these stories or these women. And I don't care about getting my finances together because it doesn't matter to me. And I don't care about my health or my weight because like, it's not going to matter anytime soon. But then a speaker came up and her name was Vanessa McWilliams and she had alopecia and which means she's lost all of her hair. Mm -hmm. And she talked about self-love and the struggles that she went through learning to love herself. And I kind of was like, wow, I wish I could love myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish I would have been able to love myself enough to do the things I needed to do to help me. And I always say I had this little voice and, you know, I still hear it today. I, you know, heard that little voice say, well, just kind of a whisper. Mm -hmm. What about you? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, kind of swept it away. And then another speaker came up, and her name was Sh uh, Shiloh. And she spoke about living with depression, how she had struggled for two decades with depression and mental illness, and how she had learned to uh, almost befriend it and, and had learned to live with it in a healthy way. And now she was out there sharing her story. And again, I heard that little whisper in the back of my head go, what about you? And I thought, well, yeah, you know, like, I bet you I sure could, you know, share my story. I got stories that, you know, like hers. And then the next speaker came up and his name was Jared Morrison. And he shared his story about living with mental illness, addiction, and the struggles that he had faced and how he had come to just moments before taking his own life he had uh, found the right cocktail of alcohol and, and pills and um, he was basically dying as his children were there in the house with him and he had heard that voice that said no not like this and now he had taken that struggle the the experience that he had gone through that being so close to death but choosing life and he now shared his story with other people. He mm -hmm. worked to break the stigma of mental illness, but men's mental illness as mm -hmm. well, which is even has more stigma around it than, than just women's issues. The men struggle so much more than, than women do. And I, it was in that moment that that whisper had turned almost into a yell and that voice was like, what about you? Maybe everything you've gone through, maybe every experience that you've had has been leading to this exact moment. I was exactly where I needed to be at that point in my life. And that whisper that had turned into a yell changed my life. And I realized that I could, yeah, I, I've gone through some shit in my life. I have had experiences that broke me, broke me down to the very core of my being. But what if I could save a life? I had, I had dealt with survivor's guilt from not being able to, to save my ex-partner. Yeah. And I felt like, what if me sharing my story could save just one person for the life that I couldn't save. Mm -hmm. 
And my entire life changed because that day I found my purpose. And I realized that my purpose was to share and to save, save someone, anyone, just to reach out. That if my suffering could be the anchor that someone else needed, then that's, then that's what I would do. And so I left, I, I remember talking to the, the event speaker and saying, Hey, just so you know, like this event was huge and I didn't go into all the details with her of it. And, and I said, I'd really like to come back and speak at your event next year. I'll have a huge story. To tell. <laughs> He's like, she had no idea. And she's like, okay, yeah, we'll think about it. So what I took <laughs> from that event was I learned to love myself. That mm -hmm. was number one. Okay. I, if the three things that I had taken away was I developed a self-love and I went, it's okay if I'm alone for the rest of my life. I am prepared to not be in relationship, like partner relationship, romantic relationship. And I'm okay with that because I love myself enough and I don't need anybody else's validation. I stopped looking for the validation from my parents. I stopped looking for validation from outside sources. And I went, I'm, I'm enough for myself. And that was huge. Yeah. I learned to, to, to recognize that depression is always going to be part of my life. Mental illness is like anything. It's like, if you're diabetic, you're diabetic. I suffer from mental illness. It's going to be a part of my life and I can choose to just like I, I say my mental illness is like that friend that you sometimes you can't stand being around, but you know, they're going to be around you anyway. Yeah. And I, I recognize <laughs> that it's, it's going to be there and I just have to support it while mm -hmm. it's, while it's with me. And then the third lesson was that we all have stories to share and we never know the impact that one story can have on other people's lives. Like, I don't think Jared recognized that, that when he walked in there and shared his story that he was going to save someone's life who was going to kill themselves in two days. I don't, you know, I know he knows now because I've, I've reached out and, and let him know what the impact that, that his life had and his story had on me. So I left that weekend and I had a monumental shift in my life. I had wrote down, um, a gentleman by the name that we both know, Sean Tyler Foley challenged yeah. us um, that day to, to start conquering fears. And I realized that how much I'd been letting fear control my life. Mm -hmm. And he challenged us to write six fears down on a piece of paper, mm -hmm. roll a die like dice. And then whichever number comes up, that's the fear you do first. So I had some fears about, um, you know, of course, most of my fears were about being abandonment and stuff like that. So talking to people about a business that I wanted to do. Um, asking someone out on a date, you know, because that fear of rejection was so huge to yeah. me. And I thought, okay, so I'm going to ask someone out. Uh, I can't remember what all five things were, but or six things were, but I, I always laugh because there's only one thing left on that list of six that I have not done, and that's get a pedicure. And <laughs> <laughs> everybody so laughs when I say that. I'm like, uh, what? The, why is the pedicure the one that's terrifying me the most? So. But, um, <laughs> uh, like I would, I would get it, uh, because, um, it's, it's that fear that something can happen to your nail and, uh, mm. you can get an infection or whatever. So I, it's normal. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay to have it away. <laughs> so I, what happened was within, um, the, oh, geez, 
two months after that event, one of one of the fears was have a photo shoot because I oh, hated. Oh, we got to show I hate, that. I hated um, having my picture taken. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah. So this event was in October. So it was December second. One of the ladies that was at the event, it was a photographer, and she's like, "Hey, I'm doing a photo shoot. Does anybody want to do it?" And I was like, "Well, perfect. That's the night of my Christmas, my work Christmas party. So I'll go get my hair done, my makeup done, get a new dress." have the photo shoot done because I'll be all done up and maybe I can have a date that night. I can ask someone out to go to the Christmas party. So mm -hmm. I did, I had actually a first date on that night. So I had, I kind of did two things. I did the photo shoot and I had my, <laughs> my, uh, uh, had my first date and that first date ended up being, so that was in December. Um, in August of that next year, I married the man I had that first date with. Ooh, okay, can we share? Is this the picture we're, we're seeing now? With yes. You? Yeah. This is the one. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I don't know what people see. <laughs> looking at the picture now. I do, I do have a dress on, I will say. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's not, we can see it. It's about yeah. what people look at this picture. You heard her story, right? And I'm not going to say it again because she said it beautifully. You can watch that part again, the beginning, the first half hour. You heard her story. This happened in two months. In two months, this is the woman right here in this picture who had the whole plan. She went to an event. She heard three stories, had a whisper. She listened, took not the shot, but took her chance and shifted her life. She became alive. The only thing that I keep looking at Actually, there are two things. One, the smile, then the eyes. Like the smile is the first thing. This is a person who's alive. And then the eyes are sparkling. This is like sparkling of joy. And this is such an empowering moment. It's like, I am with you. I choose life. What was in your head then? Can you tell us what was in your mind when you took that photo? Um, probably terror. <laughs> <laughs> we don't see it honest, I, you know it was because i didn't like having my picture taken but um the girl that was doing the the photography was absolutely amazing she made me feel so comfortable and she's she kept saying do you know how pretty you look right now i wish you could see through my lens and yeah. i thought that's it right like that's what life is about we're all looking through a different lens yes whatever our situations are we're looking at it through our filter our lens and i thought okay let's just you know this is, this is me. This is who I am. This, this is, you know, is me. Tattoos yeah. and, and all. It's like, you're, yeah. you don't have to be, as long as I felt pretty, that's what yeah. mattered. Yeah. And I mean, once I got the picture back, I was like, wow. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, that's me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, wow. You know? And it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. I felt, I felt comfortable in my own skin. Mm -hmm. And that was probably, you know, one of the biggest moments because I hadn't felt like I really embodied myself. I had disassociated outside of my body for so long as a safety mechanism that um, I felt like for once I was really in my body and and holding that space for myself. So it was huge. So, so and I also within, um, I think two months after that also, I published a book that I had been writing and um, it was actually a book of poetry that I had been writing from the time that I was that young kid 
you know, that was writing just to cope as a coping mechanism to What is the title? Sorry, can we, can you give us the title? Uh, Evolution of Spirit. And I actually, okay. I don't, my book is not in stores. I published the book okay. and, um, I'm going to write the name here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if anybody wants to reach out for a copy of it, absolutely. They can reach out. Um, I just, I published the book for myself. I didn't publish it to, to go out there and, and sell to the masses. It was more of a healing cathartic thing for me to do. Mm -hmm. And, and to say, you know, like you've had this goal for, you know, for the last decade, it's time to let go of that fear and put yourself out there. Because to me, it was like opening up my chest and showing my heart to the world. It's like, here's every feeling I had experienced as a, as a child. And I'm opening myself up and being raw and vulnerable for right. you to see. So it was just another step of the, the healing journey. So, and then I actually went back the following year and spoke at that, um, at that event, I contacted the, the, the host when she put out a call for speakers and sat down with her and interviewed and, and shared my experience and uh, my story. And she said, yeah, absolutely. You're coming in to speak. So I was able to, uh, to go in and speak at that event. And um, one of the things that I actually was shocked that I didn't know about till Sean mentioned it on the, the call, I had said during my talk that my goal is just to save one life, that if mm -hmm. I can save one life, everything I went through in my yeah. entire life is worth it. And I had a woman approach me after the event was over and say, Hey, I know you said you wanted to save a life. I just want you to know that you did today. And I was like, I, that it always chokes me up. I have such a well of emotions when I say that because it, it made it all, it all made sense. I didn't know until just a couple of weeks ago when yeah. Sean said, mm -hmm. Hey, there was actually three people. And I was like, I, I got off that call after we had it with the endless stages. And I actually cried in the office at work. Oh. I was all by myself because I was so overwhelmed, you know, like the impact of to one person was amazing to know yeah. that I had impacted three people. It was just like, okay. And it's just that fire that keeps inside me going, more people need to know that number one, they're not alone. Okay. That it's, yeah. that it's okay to talk about it because that's where the healing starts. The healing starts through dialogue. We have to, um, we have to, to take away the stigma of childhood sexualized trauma of domestic yeah. abuse of mental illness. And that's what I fight so strongly for now. I want to, um, to know people to know that, I know what it's like to sit in the dark. I, I've sat there and I have so much empathy because if you've never experienced mental illness, and I, I talk to so many people who've never experienced it, they don't know what it's like. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're, you're sitting in a deep well and you can't see the light at the top. There's just, it's this overwhelming feeling of there's a lack of hope. You don't, you don't see any possibility at that time when you're experiencing it, that, that things are going to be any better. And I know, you know, you know, that people love you, you know, that, you know, you have support. Uh, in my case, I knew, like, I knew I had people there that would miss me. I knew I had people there that would love me, but it's like when you're suffering from a disease 
where you're in pain constantly, you yeah. just want the pain to, to stop. Go. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's my mental illness is I just wanted to stop hurting. I wanted to not live in pain another day. Everything I had gone through, I thought, why on top of this do I have to live in pain emotionally and physically? And the reality is there's going to be pain in our lives. Pain is inevitable. Mm -hmm. Suffering is a choice. So I, I keep saying that. And yeah, that's, that's like so suffering, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. We, see, we, we equalize them. I, I, I know you're right. I yeah. have the same belief and thinking. It's just we equalize pain with suffering. Right. And Can you not. help us see the difference? Yeah. Well, it's, it, like I said, it, we're all going to experience pain in our lives. We're going to lose loved ones. We're going to be rejected. We're going to, mm -hmm. you know, things are going to come into our lives and then leave. That's just natural. Natural. Where our power lies is in how we choose to deal with those situations. And that's, you know, that, that was one of the biggest things that I realized was that I, I didn't have a lot of control in my life. I didn't have control as a child. I didn't have, you know, control when I was in a domestic, you know, violence situation. I, I did have choices. I did have control. I chose to stay in that situation, but I have control over my emotions. And I think that's what, um, some of the biggest shifts I've made even over the last year is understanding that that's the one thing I have control over is, is how I react, how I respond, how I choose to view situations. Um, intentional understanding that, that life is so intentional and understanding one of my biggest shifts was understanding that my, my filter. And I talked about filters, my filter is different than someone else's. I can, mm -hmm. that's why when you have car accidents, you've got witnesses have different views on what happened because everyone is seeing things through, um, through their own filters. And I was, I had control over how I chose to see things through my filter. I could see them as, uh, I could see myself as being a victim or I could see myself as being a survivor. Mm-hmm. And there are two different power structures in both of those situations, in both of those views. Yeah. Um, and I just kept choosing to put myself in the power position rather than the negative power position. I tried to ensure that the energy that I've kept around myself has been um, powerful. I've changed a lot of my social circles. Um, there's so many little things that we can do but I think number one is just recognizing that not denying what happened mm -hmm. you know being getting really awe and honest with yourself and um, saying this is what happened this is what I'm experiencing in my life and if you don't have anybody to talk to just journaling it out is great um, because we need to sometimes we just need to purge is some of the emotions of what of what we're feeling instead of holding them in and um so just getting it out there and mm -hmm. saying this is what i'm experiencing i can choose what i'm going to do with this i can choose to hang on to it or i can choose to release it because mm -hmm. you've all seen you know you've seen i'm sure we've all seen the memes on on facebook or other places you know 
holding tight to a rope that you can't hang on to is just you're just tearing, you know, sometimes it's, it's better just to release, let go of that rope, let go of everything that you've been hanging on to and just release it. And, and that's where the healing, some of the healing starts. So number one, like I always say for me, dialogue is so important. That's why I try to provide platforms for people to share, learn, educate themselves, find what it is that you're looking for, find community, which is so important. There's so many um, groups out there. Uh, I mean, you could just, in Canada, we have, you know, numbers to call things, you know, search online. There's so many organizations that are out there to help, uh, support groups on Facebook. You know, I'm a part of so many groups on Facebook where it's, you know, women supporting women, uh, men and women supporting each other. Um, because like I said, I'm after losing my ex-partner to, to suicide, you know, I realized because after he took his life, how many people were like, wow, like I never knew. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, I, you know, I, I knew he suffered, but n- no one else did. And that's one of the problems is that we don't, um, we think everybody's got their poop in a group, you know, everybody's living no. like, because we view what's going on on the outside and we think we know exactly what's going on. Everybody, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, yes. We all, even me, I mean, I for certainly like a coach and whatever teacher, everything that I am, I have some things settled in place. Like that is alignment and flow, but it's not perfection. Mm-hmm. So my question now to you is related to exactly what you said, because everybody has their own life inside. How do we, those who have not gone through the similar struggles can see the sign what what signs can we have what are the red flags or bells we can ring to ourselves when looking at a stranger at our friends and relatives and and think what if what if that person uh needs help how do we know is there any sign through which we can think like mm, there's something going on there because i'm talking as an uh i am an empath and perhaps mm-hmm. you are too and we feel mm-hmm. people in emo- like the person can be the best actor I don't care if you're Tyler or you're, uh, you know, Sean Connery or whatever, mm-hmm. but we, we still can feel you energetically, emotionally, yes. energetically. But let's say we are not empath and we even we can miss some things. Mm-hmm. What are clear calls that we need to bring help? Well, I, first of all, I will say everyone is different. Yeah, there is, you know, there, there are some certain patterns that you can watch for, but, mm-hmm. um, everyone, everyone's case and everyone's situation is really unique. The, the standards are, you've noticed that that person is pulled away. Um, they aren't, um, they, in our world, so much of it is social media. So you'll notice that maybe they're absent on social media or, or they're absent from day-to-day life there you notice that they're pulling away they're checking out uh they may not uh things that they were interested in before activities hobbies they start to not have the same interest in those events that and those activities that they used to have um because that's what people will do they will pull away from the things that they have been involved in because they're they're internalizing so much my my best thing 
the best piece of advice I can give, and this is whether or not you know someone's suffering or not, mm -hmm. is to connect with people. Oh yeah. I I mm -hmm. and and not just on social media. Like we need we need that personal connection, whether it's picking up the phone mm -hmm. or going stopping by, checking in on people. We need to make it standard now. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. How's how's life? Like I, we need, <laughs> and, and I mean to ask with the intention of really wanting to know. Like don't just hey how's it going, you know? Like hey how are you doing? And if you get an answer like my husband would tell me, I'm like huh, good. Mm -hmm. No 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 no. Okay. Well, yeah, engage. I want to know more. Yeah. I want to know more. Everything's like, good. Any any struggles? Like it's not. If you care about someone. You're doing them a disservice by not checking in with them. Yeah. And it's not, we're not talking about being invasive or nosy or right. anything like that. It's just really caring, connecting. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we kind of think, oh, well, you know, if they'll, if they want to talk, they'll, they'll talk. No. The, the people want to talk. A lot of times they want to talk, but they don't feel like anybody, you know, like people say, gonna I, listen. I don't want to be a burden. I right. don't want to be a burden. People have yeah. this. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to dump on you. You got your own stuff. What? I tell, yeah, I tell everyone, dump on me. I am the person <laughs> that you can dump on because I will understand. Yeah. I will understand how you're feeling, and if I don't, I will hold space for you. Mm. And that's and that's so important. We need to be able to hold space for other people. And I mean, and a lot of people are like, I don't understand what that means. You just need to be able to. I I tell this to everybody in my life it's like mm -hmm. if you want to talk you know i'm here any hour of the day you call me you text me you message i will if i need to drop what i'm doing and come i will come if you want to talk great if you just need me to sit with you in the dark i will sit with you in the dark until we can see the light and that is so important that you know i i'm not here to fix you i'm just here to support you because i can't fix you we can't fix anyone that's a choice that they have to make they have to be able to take the steps to ask for help to learn to love themselves enough that they're they want to be here and and we we're just holding we're holding that firm we're being there and we're supporting and that's that's just the best thing you can do i had one question and it's okay if you don't want to answer <laughs> Because it's not an easy one, mm -hmm. uh, especially in, in your place. And uh, sorry, I just need to. Uh, this is a question I got in the writing class that I'm in. Mm -hmm. uh, and I found it really, really interesting. Um, why be in this kind of world? Why be in this kind of world? Yeah. I think because I have hope for this world. Mm -hmm. um it's it's really hard as as you say being an empath because yes i am i think anybody who's who's experienced trauma we we can be empaths because for myself i was i spent so many years being hyper vigilant of mm -hmm. my surroundings as a child yeah. um and being in a domestic abuse relationship you have such hyper vigilance there so you are so in tune to the emotions and the the feelings and the just the energetic world that we're in and I just have so much hope for it and for me 
my, like I said, my purpose is to provide a container of healing that wasn't provided for, for myself. You know, I think of how different my life would have been had I received um, more in-depth counseling as a, as a child, um, more in-depth as a teenager to deal with the mental illness. Um, so I want to be that light for the people that don't have that or haven't had it. And that's why for me, it's just, I want to provide as big a container and pull as much as many people in to the light as I possibly can, because that's, that's my purpose. Tell us how you do it because you just finished, uh, and you organized an event and I think you're repeating it. Is that true? Can you tell us mm -hmm. more about it? And I also want to know about the bursary because this is a very great thing. And one of my friends who's an entrepreneur, she wanted to know how we can do, uh, how we can contribute and have these, uh, the impact while having a business. So please mm -hmm. tell us what happened. What did you do? <laughs> well, after, after I spoke at that workshop, mm -hmm. the, the one that the following year, um, the lady that organized the workshop said, you know what, I need to take a break. I'm not going to do the workshops because it's a lot of expenditure of energy when, yes. when you're planning it. And she was doing it all on her own. So she was just mentally exhausted from it. And um, so I think it was two years, there was no workshop. And I was just sitting there going, wow, you know, like that kind of sucks that there's no workshop, <laughs> right? I knew, I knew the impact of them. And I was like, I miss going to it because, you know, I loved going to events that, you know, uplifted you and gave you opportunities to learn and, and network and spend time with other people. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting there going, huh, you know, that's too bad. And then again came that little whisper in the back of my mind, mm -hmm. what about you? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, what about you? Like, why can't you organize an event? Why can't you plan it? Why can't you be the platform? This is what you want to do. You want to impact lives. Why can't you do it? So I was like, all right, let's do this. So last year mm -hmm. I organized a live event. We managed to sneak it in right before the COVID uh, protocols all kicked in. So I think we had 25 women live. I had wow. 10 speakers come in. And it was just an amazingly powerful weekend. And then this year I was like, okay, well, I guess I can't do a live event. What do I do? You know, do I not do it? And I thought, no, don't make excuses, right? Like you can use that as an excuse or you can find a way. And, you know, now I'm all about, all right, let's find a way. We can just, maybe I can reach more people now. Mm -hmm. So this year I decided to host the event virtually, which is terrifying for me because I am not a techie person whatsoever. Um, but, but before you continue, because you said it, I want to give a shout out to you because you created for yourself. So people look at this woman right here who just said that. Remember what she said? You created your own challenge to post every single day for 30 days on a video on social media. And I love that. I really mm -hmm. love how you, you did it. Mm -hmm. so uh you are like going through the fears you tell told us about this mm -hmm. list of six things this yeah. was one of your fears to mm -hmm. to be on yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean for me to be on um put a microphone in my hand and put me in front of a crowd i have a comfort level because uh -huh. i'm i'm connecting with people yeah put me in front of a computer screen 
-hmm. And I'm like, I don't feel a connection with anybody. I don't know if anybody's watching. I feel like I'm just talking to myself. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, well, how, how do you overcome that? And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, you overcome it by repetition, Mm -hmm. just putting on and doing it repeated or, you know, repeatedly. And yeah, now my comfort levels, you know, I will say I missed a couple days this month, but still doesn't matter. Well, I'm like, I'm so excited. I get on it now and I'm comfortable. I don't don't feel that discomfort of of getting on there and being on the screen so we can see it like we're watching you now I'm looking at you and like yeah so you know yeah so this year I hosted my event it was a again I think we had 25 tickets purchased and it was done virtually through zoom I was able to have speakers from one of the speakers was down in Costa Rica a couple speakers from the the U.S. of Calgary BC here so it was um and and the workshop is called ignite your life that's my okay. kind of background mm-hmm. that way right there on my screen so um yeah it was it was great to be able to have the ladies come in um from all over you know the canada and the us and um experience the container that i wanted to provide so it was uh it was exciting so i was able to to do that so Exciting. So I, I will I will do it next year as well. Uh-huh. Whether or not it's going to be virtual or live, we'll be we'll see what uh, what the world of COVID brings to us. So, but what about the birthday you have? Can you tell us about that? Yes. So, um, growing up as a child, education was so important to my grandmother. Um, she only had, I believe, a grade three or grade four education. So mm-hmm. she really pushed for. Um, us to go and further our education because she felt it opened up so many doors to, to young women to create lives where they were um, self-sufficient, not dependent on men, which is something my grandmother was very um, passionate about. So when I thought about doing the workshop, um, I don't do the workshops to make money, um, which is probably not necessarily a great thing all the time, but <laughs> I decided this year that I was going to, any of the profit I was going to make off the event, um, I was going to donate it to our local high school bursary. And um, when I was thinking about it, I thought, well, what, what do I want? And my theme has kind of always been the Phoenix, um, the, the logo or the front page of my book is a phoenix and the evolution of spirit and so to me you know phoenixes we they rise from the ashes and they burn in brightly into their future and i thought well that's what i want i want to encourage a young woman who has experienced her own struggles in her life Um, i want her to to rise and shine into the potential that she has to become a woman of impact in this world Mm -hmm. so it was you know I raised $500 for the bursary and then I actually had someone say that they would match whatever we raised. So it meant that this year I was able to provide a $1,000 bursary to a young woman. Wow. Um, I had no idea on how to do it. So <laughs> I actually just contacted the, the high school that I wanted because I'm in a very small uh, uh, rural area. Um, mm-hmm. so I just contacted the high school and said, Hey, I don't know if it's too late. I would like to provide a bursary to a young woman who's graduating this year. How do I go about it? They're like, fantastic. We'll send you an email with a bursary sheet that you just fill out what your requirements are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll get that set up for you this year. So, 
So that's what I did. So there will be a young woman who's going to receive a thousand dollars for furthering her education. And um, yeah, that's exciting for me. And it, it's kind of, you know, for me, it pays homage and tribute to my grandmother for, mm -hmm. you know, the sacrifices that she made in her life to do the best for my sister and I. So it's, uh, yeah, there's the, this is the lineup of speakers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Donna, Kelly, Susan, I mean, like all of them, I love how you, uh, people can find information about all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And there was such a great, um, a great variety of, of speakers. I mean, um, Cholet Fabry, she was the executive producer of ET Canada, um, for six years. And she mm -hmm. just, she made a transition out of, of, um, kind of the corporate world to now she's doing impact produ producing, which is creating, um, movies and help support movies that are making a positive impact in the world. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, can you, can you scroll, can you scroll yes, down? Yeah. Um, yeah, I down. just want to, okay. There's a picture right there with me, uh, me with a gentleman. If you go up two above the coffee cup right there. Yeah. Okay. So if you click on the picture, I why that picture is so important is that's me getting the keys to my house. And, wow. this, is, uh -huh. and this is what's important is that there's me with a smile on my face, getting mm -hmm. the keys, knowing that in just a couple months I was going to take my life. Wow. Right. That, that key was the legacy and the finances I was going to leave behind for my children. Wow. And this is, and so when you talk about, um, outward appearance, like we know so many, so many celebrities. I mean, you, you look at Robin Williams, you know, yeah. who for all intents and purposes, no one would have ever thought that this man would take his life. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it's, yeah. um, that's why when we talk about how important it is to, to check in with people and to be real and, you know, engage with people, not just because you think, Hey, I'm going to ask you how you're doing and you're going to tell me the truth. It's to really engage with people because you don't know, um, what people are actually going through. So, so we have a comment from one of my friends. Uh, I love what you said, Miss Madam, about being the light. Yes, everyone needs someone. Thank you for making that point. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And I mean, and everybody, I mean, it. you don't have to have experienced trauma. Like my situation is, you know, I experienced a lot of trauma, so I really understand what people are going through. But you don't have to have gone through. Um, breakthrough doesn't have to come from breakdowns. That's one of my favorite folks mm -hmm. um, because we always think you have to have had really bad stuff to happen but you can impact someone's life just by asking those questions you can be the light just by you know connecting being you connecting exactly. and being you because exactly. like i am a positive person all of that i went through some stuff but i never had sexual trauma still mm. my clients come to me with sexual trauma and i can help them not because uh you know for this one simple reason, we have gifts, all of us, and it's in our hearts. And all we need is heart. We put the heart, we combine it with life experience and the gifts we already have or have developed over time or discovered. And we can create that container you're talking about in one-on-one -on -one with our friend, with a stranger, where we do active listening. We ask the question, offer the love. And one thing that I wrote in a banner that people will see if they watch the replay 
is holding space means helping people and what you said about letting them know you are there and you're listening is helping people feel safe people when people feel safe they trust you uh-huh. and they will open up they will speak up the problem is uh, that we don't help people feel safe sometimes we're rushing uh talking 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 and we don't allow them to be heard uh-huh. you know um seen and seen and heard seen and heard is, seen and heard is, is so huge for yeah. especially for people who've experienced trauma yeah you know, because they yeah. don't feel I, I didn't feel like i had a voice for so many years i didn't yes. have i didn't have a voice i couldn't couldn't stand up and say stop to, to the abusers in my life i didn't have right. that so letting people step into their voice and come into it this means with, not with being the, the savior Sorry well, to interrupt you. Exactly, yeah. right? Because I mean, that's, it's self-responsibility is so huge. Yes. I, mean, I can't, like I said, I can't, I can share my story and it can have an impact on someone. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not saving their lives. They're choosing to save their lives. Yes. They're choosing to make the decision to, you know, to stay, right? But you or any coach, therapist, friend, mm-hmm. whoever can co-empower like you're speaking from an empowered position and Mm -hmm. you're i always say i am a pillar of light Mm -hmm. and this is not to fill my ego it's just to tell people when we show up with integrity with strong core values belief whatnot we Mm -hmm. are there as pillars for people and then of light because Mm -hmm. we are the beacons bringing Mm -hmm. open heart love and positivity and you know what let's face it like you said we have we can be raw and vulnerable it's not all about positivity mm-hmm. it's about life it's i go through s h i t and you know like we all go through stuff yeah. and it's it's better to share the reality of our life that's when people say oh i put you on a pedestal uh but you're so normal yeah i am i mean if mm-hmm. if our dear um Robbins, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, uh, would have said, hey, people, I have mental illness issues. You know, I, I think many comedians will go out, would go out and say, yeah, I have it too. You know, I think, you know, it was, it would, yeah, we need you, Charlene. Thank you. Is there anything else you feel the world needs to hear from you and your experience um, related to what was already expressed here? Um, I would say that listen to that little voice mm-hmm. when when it speaks. Um, we get so overwhelmed by the noise in the world around us that at times we don't listen to our true selves. You know, we're not we're we're so disconnected from ourselves and our bodies because we're we're such a busy world right now. So just take some time to get quiet. And here, because that little voice is what you need. It's the the voice that's going to tell you what you need. And when you listen to it and give yourself that space, I mean, it's it's as important to give yourself that space as it is to provide that space for other people. Um, And just going into it with no judgment. It's okay to feel how you're feeling. Feel whatever feelings you are feeling and don't judge them. 
because that's what I did. I judged, you know, oh my God, I can't believe we're feeling this way again, you know, and, you know, so let's stop judging ourselves. Let's be loving and kind to ourselves. And, um, and then we can go out into the world and be a more loving, kind person to the world. So, so listen to that little voice. If it tells you to slow down, if it tells you to, to take a break, to rest, if it tells you to reach out, if it tells you, Hey, what about you? Mm-hmm. Listen to it. Um, what I would add, because you spoke about judgment and self-judgment, I would add, because I know you and I talked about this yesterday when we were talking about the interview, I experienced myself, like I did it to others because of the conditioning, not in my family, because my family didn't have that, but is the religious or whatever cultural or even like family uh, conditioning where we look at other people and who have suicidal thoughts or who did it and we say, oh my God, that's a sin or whatever. I would never do that. And I, I really invite all of us to hold this compassion uh, in our hearts and allow people to take control over their bodies. We are sovereign over our life and body. And it's not, about, it's not up to us to judge what is right, what is wrong. We are not in their position. I have friends who lost a child due to the exact pain you were talking about, where they feel physical pain continuously and nobody, nobody really, uh, apart from the parents, like the parents did everything they could. What I mean is outside the family, the professionals and everybody else, they did not have the right tools to help the child. Everybody did like, family members and everybody who really cared did their best but other people who had the tools somehow did not come into their life or whatever happened we don't know but the idea is let's allow everybody to decide for their own bodies and their own life and hold compassion and stop the judgment mm-hmm. you know this is how we bring healing by watching a person going through having mental illness and struggles and uh you know not say oh why do you have these thoughts or why are you hurting yourself or whoa, 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 whoa. no that's shame mm-hmm. shaming people guilt making them feel guilty and have shame even while they're alive mm-hmm. let alone which, after which they're already feeling enough of yeah, inside exactly you know? why put more poison Mm-hmm. into into their into their being like this mm-hmm. is you know so everybody you heard charlene uh this is her um this is where you find her work and i'm also going to put uh we already have it in the description and comments this video will be on youtube for those of uh, you who have friends who are not on facebook i'll put the link uh the youtube link here under this once it's live and um Thank you all for being here watching live replay. Thank you, Charlene, for your wonderful work, for sharing your story. For You gave much more than I was thinking. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much. You're uh, my time is 11 11. For those of you who know, I see it as a sacred number. So <laughs> yeah. thank you. And if you need our help with sharing your work, let us know uh i'm i'm always here for you um and we can all always talk about what your plans are by the way you have something coming up in 2022 and you haven't talked about can you share a bit about it your i'm just gonna be i'm running a rise and shine coaching program so i do i do some 
some coaching and um, it's going to be a little more of my focus because that's more where my um, I'm being drawn to. So mm -hmm. it'll be doing a little more getting out, stepping away. I'll still be doing the workshop, but it's going to allow me to do some more one-on-one -on -one work with, uh, with individuals. So, so yeah. So this is your uh, website. Yes. Yeah. And I do Reiki. I'm a Reiki practitioner. So and will, coaching. This that. is the coaching. So, yeah, I'll be doing life strategy and coaching and and card readings and and uh, yeah. So okay, thank you so much yeah. for for being here. And if anybody we, wants to reach yes. out, I would love to. If anybody wants to reach out yeah. on Facebook or social media, absolutely reach out. And I will if you just want to yes. talk, or you need someone that wants to sit in the dark with you. I'm here for you. So. Facebook.com, Charlene and Madden. Mm -hmm. And again, all the best people, reach out. We mm -hmm. are here. And mm -hmm. what we don't know, we'll guide you to the people who know. Absolutely. That's for sure. Absolutely. And always allow others to be listened because you need to be heard. Others need to be heard too. We mm -hmm. love you. We thank you. Be empowered, inspired, and alive. We need you alive. The world needs yeah. you wherever you are. Awesome. I love Thank you, Shana. you. Thank you so much for accepting this invitation. Thank you, Andrea. If what you heard touched you or helped you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite place for tuning in. Pay it forward by sharing it with others. I'll be here for you with the next episode. I'm Andrea Petrut, your Healing Through Oneness show host. Remember, we are connected. We are one.